Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Sort of tucked in, ready to go. All right, so uh, I actually want to uh, talk about effective and expectant prayer today. The, starting today is the first uh, Sunday of the church calendar, which John does when he's not on vacation. Um, is the first Sunday in what's called ordinary time. And during the ordinary time, the church speaks into whatever needs spoken into. And so, uh, thus we uh, planned it that I would uh, get to speak today. So, I want to talk about effective and expectant prayer. We are trying as a church, a church is supposed to be a city set on a hill. It's supposed to be a city within the cities, a nation within the nations, a culture within the cultures. And what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ without becoming part of a community that's made of a family of families. And that community is trying to build a kingdom culture in contradistinction to the world's culture. Now, worldly people uh, have no reason to pray. Prayer for modern times, if you... uh, Study the Renaissance and then eventually the Enlightenment on through to Darwinism to modern times. Western culture has uh, experienced one onslaught after another against the belief in a spiritual, supernatural dimension and a God who's active and so forth. If you go back to our founding fathers, although 35 of the 38 uh, Signers of the, of the uh, or the 35 of 38 that were at the Constitutional Convention um, were, were actually Orthodox Christians. However, many of them were not really Orthodox Christians, even though they belonged to Orthodox Christian churches. Many of them were a, a kind of a philosophy that was starting to develop among what's called the French philosophes on the, in the continent of Europe and among the Americans at, called deism. And that's the idea that, um, you know, God created the world, but then he kind of left it up to us after that. It's on its own. And a lot of people have actually described American contemporary Christianity as moralizing, that is performance-based, therapeutic, that means like using, you know, self-help techniques and so forth, uh, deism. That is, low expectations of what God is going to do. And you can't actually read the pages of the Bible 
unless there are unbelieving blinders on, which I think we're all struggling with in Western culture, without seeing that the Bible is filled with miracles day after day, page after page, and so forth. I used to actually refer to minor healings as your common everyday book of Acts type miracles. Uh, so, and we, we have been brought up uh, in Western culture today to have low expectations of who God is and what he's about to do. It's one of the reasons we have trouble getting everyone to both meetings. It's one reason we have people come that haven't spent time preparing or they come late. Because you're, you're coming to meet with God. <laughs> like if God called you and said, tomorrow I'm going to be at your house at 7 o'clock, do you think you'd be late? <laughs> you know, right? So um, the, the, the problem is, is we just fall into kind of a blinders where we have low expectations of who God is and what he wants to do. Now, prayer is one of those things that uh, takes a spiritual walk with God to really make sense. Especially once you start studying theology and you begin to understand that God is providential and he's sovereign and he does whatever he wants. So if he's just going to do it anyway, why should we pray about it? <laughs> I once had a guy who believed in heavily in the sovereignty of God said, is God... Can we, does that mean because God's eternal and so forth, can we actually pray for things that have already happened <laughs> Think and know that God is using our prayers to have brought them about? And I'm like, you've been, you've been thinking too abstractly. All right, but <laughs> um, the fact is, God has decided in his eternal decrees to actually use the prayers of his people to bring about what he intends. Right? So uh, my, my hope today is to give you the tools. I can't in one message give you that much about prayer, but I can give you a lot of things that if you were to take the time to take these outlines home instead of finding them in the pews later and to actually use them and to actually read some of the verses I've listed in various sections, you could have God show you a lot about prayer as a result of what I'm trying to give you today. And prayer is, is a missing, vital, key ingredient to much of the church today in many Christians' lives. So my goal is to, to provide resources to you so that you can stir yourself up regularly and often to private and corporate prayer. I don't know about you, but my sense of God's spirit my intensity of biblical studies, my intensity of corporate prayer and private prayer and so forth is a little bit of a roller coaster ride <laughs> sometimes. I'm not always perfectly consistent or faithful, are you? <laughs> um, so I have to stir myself up in the things of God all the time. I have to wake up in the morning and go, thank you, Lord, that I'm backslidden. Save me again today, <laughs> and, uh, and let's get start. Let's do this again. Praise you, Jesus. Thank. You. Let me reposition myself about grace. Think about the depth of my sin and the greatness of God, and and you know, and and uh, start all over on a grace base. So, um, I want to help us to 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 have resources to grow in our effectiveness of prayer and our ineffectiveness of prayer. Now, so that's the second point. 1B is that uh, 
when you, when you use the word effective prayer, many people have not thought about prayer can be a waste of time and it can become dynamically effective and you can actually grow in how effective your prayers are. In fact, the Bible has much to say about a spiritual atmosphere of God's favor or blessing that happens on both individuals, churches, families, and so forth, even businesses. And there are spirituals of God's chastisement. And that atmosphere comes, in fact, one of the best ways you can learn the ways of God and grow in the Lord is to learn those signs that you're not on track. And your attitudes or your motivations or your character or your responsibilities or whatever, so that you can be, have a course correction regularly. The essence of our sin nature and the essence of God's grace is we need course corrections every day. And we need radical course corrections in attitudes, in motivations, in lifestyle, in behavior, in knowledge, in wisdom. We need course corrections. And prayer can be something more effective and it can become less effective. And one of the parts of the atmosphere of God's favor that happens in families and churches and so forth, even in, again, sometimes in cities, uh, is that God starts to answer prayers in specific, powerful ways. And he get, actually starts to visit you to know what to pray according to what he wants to pray, according to what he wants birthed in, in and through you, uh, and so forth. So hopefully we'll get that as we go today. James 5, 13 through 18 talks about, is anyone suffering? You should pray. Hmm. So prayer isn't just for when we're like doing really great. Uh, is anyone cheerful? You should pray. Sing, we're going to see that singing praise is actually a type of prayer. Is anyone sick? Is anyone sick of Brother Greg? Then you must call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him, anointing him in the oil in the name of Jesus. Some of you want, like those TV guys that, that, they not, that you want to just hit me in the head. <laughs> no, I'm just not going to, no. Um, so then he goes on to say, to talk about Elijah, and in, in, uh, this is important. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish men. Now hopefully by now you've learned the technique of scripture reading called reading the reverse negative. We talk about it all the time here at Grace Christian Fellowship. It's, it's something you should learn in reading comprehension when you're in grade school that, that never gets taught anymore. But when you're reading something, the best way to understand it is say, what is it not saying? So if it's saying that the effective prayer of the righteous man accomplishes as much, it's saying prayer can be more or less effective. And your righteous standing before God on the basis of Christ's atonement and how you're positioning yourself in that has something to do with it. Not necessarily your performance-based approaches to self-righteousness. Now, Elijah had a, was, had a nature just like every one of us. You know, we tend to sometimes take characters of the Bible and think they're a lot different than us, but they're not. They're actually models because, you know, they face the same challenges. I was once on one of the worst Little League teams in the history of Little League. 
And, uh, and I remember my neighbor, Mr. Falsey, was one of the coaches, and on the way home in the car, he, he said, don't worry, if they score 25 runs in the same in, in, inning, so can you guys, because you, everyone puts their pants on the same way. And I said, yeah, we might put our pants on the same way, but they know how to actually catch and throw and, and hit, you know. <laughs> so... Uh, we just let the ball go between our legs. So, so there's, uh, you, you know, there's technique to knowing how to pray earnestly as the New American Standard and the King James and the NET say, which the, and the ESV says fervently. Uh, there's a kind of prayer that's, that's an, that produces fruit. And you want to be in a situation where you say, you know, God led us to pray for these things, and this, and these things happen. And I, my, my prayer would be that you would have hundreds of such memories in your life, and that we as a corporate people would have hundreds of such memories. And the purpose of why we're having these prayer meetings, which are this week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and starting next week will be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, is we're hoping, even if you have a strong tradition of like family dinner, Take off family dinner one night and come to one of these small group prayer meetings. Uh, believe me, uh, when, when a group of Christians get together to pray for the future move of God in, in the church that you're part of, it is a powerful thing. We have traditionally always prayed, uh, at, right? We set up chairs right here in a circle. And all summer long, we pray Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. And we have anywhere from six to 10 or 12 people but of course, it's mostly the same people. And there's no secret that usually they're often some of the strongest people in the Lord. But I would encourage you, get in on at least one of these prayer meetings once a week. And, uh, you know, uh, Beth and Edwin came up with the creative idea of adding a book study. And so some, and uh, Sam Chanpoon with, uh, and, and Beth both with the idea of meals. We're kind of, these are going to be kind of like home group meetings. Uh, however, not uh, necessarily what you would call a pastoral home group meetings. You know, I've been in churches since the 70s that's had small groups organized three different ways. One is where you have a small group where the, the person leading the small group, the husband and wife, are your pastor. Another is like an outreach small group, like a campus ministry where we're targeting a certain group of people for evangelism and discipleship and so forth. But, these, but just fellowship, prayer, enjoying a meal together, uh, studying the word. But nobody's necessarily the pastor, although these are being led by people on the leadership team. But, but they, we want them to be a 1 Corinthians 14, 26 kind of meeting that says, what's the outcome then? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching. Come, ha you know, even if you're just on the drive over there, you spend some time saying, God, what would you like to do tonight? And would you have me to contribute? So bring a dish and bring a prophecy here. Two for one special. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so that's, um, so come uh, expecting God to do things. You can tell, uh, you know, unfortunately he's downstairs, so I can't, can't uh, brag on Edwin for a while. But before Edwin went and ruined everything by getting married and having kids, no, Edwin, 
Edwin would always be here like an hour or two before the meeting started in the pews reading his Bible. Not only was he not late, he was usually here like that we had to give him his own key because he was the first one here, <laughs> you know, especially on Friday nights often he would be. And, uh, you know, so, um, what, and I, you know, some of the churches I've seen that have been the most anointed and the most uh, fruitful and so forth, people come, nobody comes late. Everyone comes 15 minutes early, 30 minutes early, even an hour early. And instead of just fellowshipping and, and talking about ping pong or whatever, uh, they, they're, they're reading their scripture and praying. You know, I remember uh, a church that, that I was just a regular member of and not a leader or anything, although I taught a Sunday school class and different things. But even though uh, I went to the second service, they had a prayer meeting at 8, and I used to get up and go over to the church just to pray with the pastor before the first service. Because why? And I used to meet with a bunch of guys at six o'clock in the morning. By the way, in addition to these evenings, you know, some of you should consider getting three or four brothers together to pray before work or sisters or whatever. You know, like, well, we all have to be at work at eight, or you know, some some of you might have to be at work at seven, so you could have the Tuesday six o'clock prayer group a.m. and the uh, Thursday seven o'clock a.m. prayer group. Um, I pastored a church that was probably the most anointed and, and, and zealous on fire church that I've ever been a part of. And there were about 10 such prayer meetings a week, including every morning and every evening. And there were always about 10 or more people at each one of them. Now, there was probably no one who was at every one of them. And, and I couldn't even keep up with being at every one of them. And I was full time and had more time than most people. But I would encourage you, if you actually began to have some expectancy about what God wants to accomplish in prayer, God actually wants to share the secrets of his heart and what he wants to do. He'll teach you what to pray. Now, the next point is about expectant prayer. And I have a verse there from 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 5, which is about entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving. We're going to look at a minute at five types of prayer, one of which is petitions. And most, most Christians who pray, pray petitions. I want, I want to encourage you to pray the other kinds of prayer too. But petitions are not bad. It's just that what you want to do is move them away from just selfish things like, bless me, Lord, give me my daily bread, and so forth. That, I mean, it's okay to pray for yourself, some. But you want to pray for much more cosmic burdens. You know, I guess I'm singling out Edwin and Beth today, but I, one of the, my favorite prayer meetings is uh, one summer we were here and we were praying, and I think it was the summer before we met Sam Chen Poon probably, and you know we start we were praying for Cedarville, and uh, oh my gosh, the burden of the Lord that came on us, and uh, Edwin and Beth were weeping, and I was weeping, and everyone was weeping, and it was because God wants to do things at Cedarville. And even though we've only had a little bit of fruit out of Cedarville, God, you know, a long time ago, God showed us that he's going to bring more and more of Leah's and John Gray's and Beth's friends and, and bring them here to, to heal their lives, set them free, and make them leaders among us and take the good foundations they have and add to them even better things and, and like he did with those guys. And, you know, what's happened with Chris Like this year is just it came out of those prayer meetings. The, 
that he, he had one of the most intense, powerful conversions I've ever been around or a part of, and some of you were there for many of the events. And that came out of those prayers. You know, the summer before we met Sam Chen Poon, God began to lead us to pray that international students would come and that he had worked in their life ahead of time that they would be desiring the things that Grace Christian Fellowship's about. And, you know, Sam Chen Poon was at Buffalo University, finished his bachelor's degree. In God's providence, the Wright State University built a new neuroscience building. And anytime a university does something like that, what they try to do is go after a very famous professor in that field so they can, li- can say, hey, we have this program with this famous guy. So the famous guy that they brought happened to be at Buffalo University, and Sam was his research assistant. And so he said, hey, Sam, I can't continue to do this cutting-edge research without you. Can you come to, would you come to Wright State and get a master's degree so you can keep re- be on staff and keep researching for me? Now he's working on his doctorate, but he gets paid there. And Sam had, had been in a charismatic church in, in Singapore, but he had come to this uh, little Baptist group in, in Buffalo that was neither charismatic nor very interested in scripture nor very interested in fellowship and, and a lot of things. And it was just 30 or so people, but it wasn't very zealous. And he had gotten so hungry over four years. He was like a guy coming off a 40-day fast. Uh, you know, I mean, he was, he was hungry for the things of God. And through a number um, of ways... Number, the first thing that God had put in his heart through a, through a disciple of a guy named J.P. Moreland, some of you, John Gray, I made you read his book called uh, Love God With All Your Mind years ago, remember? Uh, through One of his disciples spoke at, but that, at the little fellowship at Buffalo, and Sam began to realize, wow, our approach to scriptures these days is not very serious and not th- thorough enough. Lord, take me to a church that has a more serious approach to scripture. The thing... Other thing he noticed is, wow, there's no, no move of the Holy Spirit. Like he was led, Sam was not brought up Christian. His parents are not Christian. He was led to Christ on the streets of Singapore by some Christians, and he went to very charismatic kind of churches. And then four years without that, he was like, wow, Lord, let, let me find a church that takes the Holy Spirit more seriously and seeks the Holy Spirit's power and presence and gifts. Then... He said, through his own biblical studies, he had said, wow, today's churches, you get together on Sunday morning, and if you're really spiritual, you go Sunday night and Wednesday. But in the, in the New Testament, they lived in community, and they were together daily in various small group kinds of arrangements from house to house and taking their meals, and it was really community. Uh, Lord, take me to a church that believes in and practices and is going trying to build Christian community. And we were led to pray that God would bring internationally born students that were looking for those three things. And we hadn't met Sam yet. We didn't know that God had put in his heart. And we were praying that God would bring someone who he already put that in his heart. And I'm just sharing some testimony so you begin to understand. This is powerful stuff. If you, if you, you know, join one of these meetings and, you know, stay with the same one if you can or whatever, but see, expect God to meet with you. That's why we start by drawing near the Lord with worship.
So, uh, let's go to Roman numeral two. Oh, man. Uh, what time are we going to Bethany Edwards? Three? Okay. Uh, so, uh, I'm going to look a little bit at some, just some minor things. I'm, and I really just want to give you some resources to take this further. Jesus on prayer, and I'm just taking these from the Gospel of Luke, but you could take them from all four Gospels, right? So the, the verses I have listed on the top line are things that Luke has to say about prayer and Jesus has to say about prayer. The ones that are underlined are times that it says that Jesus went away to pray. Now, I submit to you who, who let your devotional lives get robbed all the time. I would submit to you, if Jesus felt it necessary to get alone to pray, how much more do we need that? If you think you can actually go through the week without Bible study and prayer and so forth, I would, I would say that you're more than just a complacent. I would say you're arrogant. And I pray that God would break that out of us, starting with me. Because you can't, I can't, you can't exist without a fresh touch of Jesus every day. That's, what he, that's why we need daily bread. I can't eat the crusty bread from last week's insights. Anybody like to keep the pizza crust around after they're in the box for three or four weeks and then eat them after they're crunchy? <laughs> Some of us live our Christian lives that way. Now, the scriptures that John read, and doesn't John Gray do a great job at reading? Let's give him a hand. I love listening to John Gray read the scriptures. We should, you should like do the whole Bible. <laughs> we can market it. John Gray reads the Bible. <laughs> In your spare time between raising kids. But, um, so it happened that while Jesus was praying, the disciples said, teach us to pray. Why did they say teach us to pray? Because they were... Inavoidably, they were starting to make a connection between this guy goes away to pray all the time and look at all the stuff that happens around him. It was kind of like after a while in the Christian life, God's hoping to have enough experiences that you go, duh, wow, uh, wow, like Jesus is amazing and Jesus prays. Maybe I should pray. <laughs> That's basically what Luke 11 is saying. Um, and, of course, he starts with worship. Holy is your name. You know, you do pray for petitions and so forth. You, forgiveness is such a huge in, uh, thing. But I especially want to focus on thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There is a kingdom of darkness that entered this world with sin. And there is the kingdom of God, which is the present eternal reality. And the kingdom of God has been growing like a grain of mustard who's, you know, will grow and grow and grow until its branches fill the whole earth. Contrary to popular belief that will I find faith in the earth and the Antichrist is going to be, beat us all up and we're all going to be left behind and it's going to be horror. Oh my God, help us. And you know, I remember when I first became a Christian and I didn't know the 
negative eschatology yet. I met this wonderful Christian lady, friend of my parents in the grocery store, and she said, Brother Craig, I just don't know. I, I hope Jesus comes back in the next one or two weeks because I don't know how much longer I can hold on. And I'm like, I, I want what she's having. But, you know, <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? Uh, give me some of that. All right, so, you know, the truth of the matter is, is the kingdom of God is coming like a juggernaut. And there is no stopping it or no resistance, but it's, it is going to liberate the whole planet prior to Christ coming back. And our enemy, there really are demons and there really is a Satan, and his main objective is to get Christians believing something less than that. Because what you believe is what you'll work for and what you'll pray for and it will determine the outcomes. We had the most Christian culture probably in the history of the world when that negative eschatology was introduced in the 1800s. It was the first time. No one had ever heard of dispensational premillennialism. It was started by a cult called the Millerites. It was picked up by evangelical Christians in the 1870s, and it became the dogma of evangelical Christianity between 1890 and 1930, and it swept the church so that everyone believed it. And since then, we've given birth to the most secular pagan culture that Western culture has ever seen. Because that's been our vision and our expectations and what we're praying for and believing for and working for. I don't know about you, but I actually want to play for the championship. And I want to be, you know, if I can't be Steph Curry, I want to at least root for Steph Curry. Like, I can't be Jesus, but I at least want to be on his side and be his disciple and work toward whatever he's working for. Luke 18, he was telling them a parable and showed them that they should not pray and not lose heart. Now, some introductory quotes on prayer. I'm getting started. That was all, no extra charge introduction. All right, 2 Thessalonians, Paul tells us to pray that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. Is that your expectation? Pray the gospel would spread rapidly. You write state students that have the that ministry, you Cedarville students that have that ministry, you people who have Bible studies opponents, pray the word of God will gather momentum and make inroads into people's hearts and lives. And they will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. The Lord is faithful. He'll, he'll strengthen and protect you from the evil one. It, it's important that we're that we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes and we believe there are demons and so forth. But it's not, it's not, they're not to be, sometimes they're given just too much respect. Jesus defeated all enemies and made an open triumph of them, Colossians. And you're foolish to not believe there's real spiritual warfare and problems and so forth. You're also foolish to not understand that we can cast them out in the name of Jesus you don't even have to be that particularly mature of a Christian to, be, to do that. It, that's a power and a right and an authority given to every Christian. Now, I recommend that you learn from people who have more experience and so forth. There's always mentoring stuff. But then there's always situations where you don't have a chance to learn. Like you're right in the situation and then you end up having to cast the demons out or something. And no one, you know, 
and there's nobody else but you to, you know, who are you going to call? Uh, <laughs> 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 all right. So here's some quotes about prayer. When all is said and done regarding prayer, there's, more, there's often more said than done. The reason I want corporate prayer expressions, by the way, we will get Friday Night Fellowship going again, but it's just proved that it's, you know, we, we lose five or six hours of five or six guys' times every time we clean up the sanctuary. And then we also lose the, the evening for the guys who are doing the work. So what I'm going to try to do this week is arrange with a couple local churches in the neighborhood that we're friends with to move Friday Night Fellowship temporarily there so we won't have to clean up the sanctuary twice a week. Because on Saturday, we totally trash it again. So anyway, uh, but the, if everyone went to these prayer meetings, it, they, it would be awesome. It really would. Try to get to one. Quote number two, prayer is a dynamic, that comes, the Greek word dunamis is the, is the same, that when you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, we get dynamo, dynamic, and dynamite from dunamis. You'll receive power. It's a powerful interplay. That is a communication. It's a two-way street. Don't just come to tell God stuff, come to hear God. Dialogue, transaction between God and us, whereby his redemptive kingdom, eternal decrees and purposes are birthed and established. Ecclesiastes 5, draw near to God uh, to listen. So that's a saying, by the way, that I've had, I don't know, since the 80s. Thirdly, uh, quote, prayer is a catalyst to visitation. Now, catalysts are agents that bring about a chemical change when you add them. Nothing happens without prayer. You can start a Bible study at your work, which you should. You can start an outreach at Ponitz. You can start an outreach at Belmont, Stivers, Wright State, Central State, UD, and it's going to amount to nothing if it's not undergirded by effective, expectant, powerful prayer that uses all five kinds of prayer we're talking about. And prayer, like anything else, is a learning curve. Who's, who's the best basketball player in the church? Jason? I've heard. Sam raised his hand. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Who's the most humble guy in the church? No. <laughs> you know, Sam didn't become the great basketball player that he is now <laughs> the day one, right? Did any of you, were any of you born experts at anything? Amanda, how good was your piano playing when you were two? Not so good? Um, Chris, were you practicing law when you were six? You, you know, everything requires seeking God, study, uh, growth inch by inch. Uh, progress made inch by inch is not soon lost. You will, you, will, you will hang on to the things and the things of God that you had to fight for for a number of years. You know, if you are blessed enough to have come to God with a lot of troubles in your life because people messed up your life and everything else, that is really a great blessing. Because as you walk with God through this thing and take notes as you go, you will have way more to give than someone who didn't have to go through anything. 
That's why I'm always looking for the most troubled people. <laughs> no, really. Um, they make great Christians. Uh, prayer is a catalyst of visitation. Nothing happens without adding the ingredient of prayer. You can like make dough, but if you don't add the yeast, it doesn't, it's not going to rise. And we, I, I, I am calling us again, because what's happened is we've kind of grown and things that have been part of our culture, sometimes newer people and stuff haven't been engrafted into that culture as much. And we have a history of a lot of prayer together. And prayer is birthed what the little fruit that we've born here, we've, we've actually got enough spiritual momentum that we're like kind of pregnant and, and about to be born into, you know, we're becoming a church and there's life and there's some good things happening here and, and some forward momentum. All of that was accomplished by a lot of prayer meetings. And all of that is just a drop in the bucket compared to what God wants to do here. And God wants you to be the one, part of the team that births that through crying out to God together, day and night. Fourthly, fasting intensifies prayer. Now, many Christians have said that in various forms over the centuries. So I kind of gave the authors of each of the quotes. Quickly, five types of prayer. I'm going to go over it today because this is important stuff. And I, we really need to get back to a culture of prayer as a church. I think we've drifted from it some. Scripture reading and comprehensive study is actually praying. Even when you're doing the comprehensive kinds of study that get kind of dry. But that you really need. You know, like I mentioned a book this, at the 930 about that, uh, that's like a 500-page introduction to the Gospels. It's, it, let me, I didn't get any goosebumps when I was reading it. You know, when I read A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy, I had to take worship breaks and got goosebumps and flow of the Spirit all the time. <laughs> you know, reading some book about the intertestament period and stuff. Well, I do get emotional about some things like that. But you know what? The, don't judge the effectiveness of the prayer by how many goosebumps there are a, or whatever you want to call it. Sometimes the best fruitful labor is tedious. Planting seeds on a hot day in the sun, hour after hour after hour, is not always fun. Ask any of the farmers in our church. So, but scripture reading is, is the first and most important kind of prayer because that's how God talks to us. The mouth speaks out of the abundance that fills the heart. And when the Holy Spirit shows you something when you're driving down the highway, it will always be related to things you've studied. And a lot of times it'll be an illumination of something you stored up and studied. wonder if I should... Uh, it's too late to... I'm going to tell it anyway. <laughs> One, I have only had a few times in my 30... What, what, 43 years of being a Christian where I could basically say... God really spoke to me. I've had impressions from the Holy Spirit, illumination of Scripture. I've had times when the burden of God has broken me down and prayed. I have those, you know, too often and regularly, as you know. But, you know, those times where it was like, wow, it was almost an audible voice. I've had a few of those. And one of them, 
was on a cold winter night. It was four below zero. I had had the flu for several days. I was, had a fever of 102 or three. And I was walking over to my pastor's house because it was my job to take out the trash at the church offices and the pastor's houses. And I didn't have a car back then. I was in college. And I was crying out to God why the campus ministry that they'd asked to start wasn't more fruitful. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, the key is the Holy Spirit. Now, I had spoken tongues at that point for about seven years. I had cast demons out of probably 50 people or 100 people at that point. I had seen some pretty miraculous things. But I really didn't get the entire theology of who the Holy Spirit was and why we needed to have his presence and power working among us every day in every way as deeply as I needed to. And right after I heard that, what I now teach in this, what I taught in the series we're doing at 930, that was chapters 2 and 3, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the activities of the Holy Spirit, all of that came to me in a few seconds because all the scriptures I'd stored up about the Holy Spirit came open and I was like, oh my goodness, I've underestimated who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do. And I was probably more Pentecostal or more charismatic than about 99.5% of American Christians at that point, but I wasn't enough. And it changed my life. And within, and I went to the other leaders in the team, and I said, we, no, at that time, there were 14 guys coming, 14 men and women coming to our two little meeting we had started. All of them were going to other Christian groups and the other leadership guys didn't want to lift hands or speak in tongues or anything that might offend people. And I said, we need to not, you know, grieve the Holy Spirit or, or quench the Holy Spirit. We need to do the things that would stir the Holy Spirit up. And they were like, I don't know. We don't want to scare anybody away. I said, I'll tell you what. Let's, let's put something before God. Like, give me permission to share with people about getting baptized in the Holy Spirit behind the scenes for the next two weeks. And let's see what God will do. Two weeks later, all 14 people had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and there began to be a powerful move of God in the worship, and, we, and the fellowship grew to 70 new Christians in about a year and a half's time, and it was on fire. So, because only God can do what we can't do. Nothing, you know... <clears throat> Prayer, you can't accomplish anything. We might as well quit sharing the gospel and quit tithing and quit coming to church. Pastor said quit tithing. And do air. if we're not going to pray, <clears throat> then, then we probably should just forget it. I probably should make this a two-part series. Um, petitions with Thanksgiving. We already talked about that. Thanksgiving praise, worship is prayer. By the way, Ephesians 3.10 talks about how God in ages past uh, had a plan to let the church speak the mysteries of God in heavenly places. Worship is not like mamby-pamby. Worship is declaring the kingdom of God before God's throne, angels, principalities, satanic angels, demons. Worship is a warfare. That's why the worshipers were sent into battle first all the time. And even to this day, almost every army of the world has military bands and so forth and sending the musicians into battle. Like 
What kind of strategy is that? Let's have all the violin and viola players walk in first, then, then the people with the guns. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's God's strategy. Let's bring the worshipers in first. Because <laughs> as John Gray just said, they're the real warriors. Worship is warfare. And it's declaring the kingdom. And it's kicking some... <laughs> And you know, and, and that kind of thing. I used to feel condemned because, like, whenever we'd worship, I I had this chair that uh, in my study that had like a, you know, shake, go back, and I would punch it all the time during worship, and everyone would say, "We're going to get you one of them dolls that has sand in the bottom." <laughs> and and even to, sometimes I go over there and punch the wall, never hard enough to hurt my hand too much, but. Uh, but there's something about worship that you want to punch somebody and not per- <laughs> And then Bradbury reminds me we wrestle not against flesh and blood. <laughs> no, worship should make you a little mad sometimes. Because when you really see the king for who he is and you really realize how many people are being robbed of that, not just lost people all the time, unfortunately. That doesn't make you mad. I don't know what will. These days, people just get mad if the sermon's too long or the air conditioning's not working. We're getting, doing both of that to you today. Intercession. I, I started this type it, and then I got another point. Study the great intercessors of the Bible. Of course, Jesus is the greatest intercessor of the Bible. So hopefully you know how to do Bible studies. I put in like the word intercede or intercessor or whatever and pull it up and look at the verses and then read them in context and so forth. But, you know, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. But study how Moses interceded and Nehemiah interceded and kind of make a chart and see what are the common principles that all these intercessory prayers had. There, by the way, there's a... Uh, on our podcast, Stephen has a, and uh, you can send to Stephen because what happened is these things got taught over, discombobulated here and there and stuff. But most of most of these are, are full teachings on on our website, so that's a resource right there. And uh, but they're not necessarily under the same category. So Stephen has an email that all you have to do is ask him, give me the stuff on prayer. And he'll send you the outlines, and each one tells you where to find it on the podcast. And there's lots of stuff about prayer. Because, you know, by the grace of God, if there's anything God has deposited in my life, is there's nothing Greg Weiss can accomplish, period. We can plant and water, but only God can cause growth. And God has chosen to cause growth through prayer. And God wants to use you with, your, with a brother or sister sitting next to you to do that. Uh, learn about intercessory prayer. There's principles there's like you, that have to do with the covenant and reminding God of his promises and praying for the sake of God's fame in his name and, and confessing our sins. You know, some of the most righteous people in the Bible started their intercessory prayer with confessing their sins. Think about that, like Nehemiah and so forth. Remember when Moses said, Lord, if you don't go, I don't want to go? That's intercessory prayer. Spiritual warfare prayer. 
Ephesians 6, 10 to 20 is a great place to start. But there are demons. There are satanic angels. They are over families. They're over neighborhoods. They're over churches. There, have been, there are satanic angels that have been assigned to stop Grace Christian Fellowship. There are, and you, there are satanic angels that are working against your marriage and your family. There are satanic angels trying to bust up your single brother's household. And you have to learn how to come into the presence of God, to hear who they are, to have some understanding in, who, in what they are. For instance, unbelief and anti-supernatural, low, low expectation, skeptancy is one of the major principalities over America today. Religious confusion is one of the main ones. And a spirit of compromise that's called, in James, double-mindedness. And in Hosea, it's called harlotry, where people want to be Christians, but they don't want to make Jesus Lord and, and be completely Christian. Those are the three of the most important satanic angels over America today. And we need people who are willing to stand up together. I would not... In, get into this level of spiritual warfare apart from group prayer meetings and stand up and, and, and bind these demons and spirits that are, that are hurting your family and our church and everything else. We always practice the thing, especially when I was younger and more full of whippersnapper or whatever you got when you're young, vinegar or whatever. But we, the first thing we do in every campus ministry is go to the campus at night and proclaim out loud that Satan and your satanic angels that have ruled this campus were coming to get you. And we're coming to set your prisoners free. And we bind you now in the name of Jesus and understand that greater is he who's with us than is with you. Try starting that over your prayers for your neighborhood. All right. Spiritual warfare has to be, we have to learn how to do that if we're going to become effective prayers. 12.15, so I, let me just tell you the rest real quick. Paul on prayer, there's three ways you can study that. Paul has eight prayer requests, and I've listed them all there. Then Paul's prayer life, you could study that. So now we're study the things Paul says. The eight of them are Paul saying, I, will you pray for me for this? The, the next list would be the things Paul's praying for for each church. Very important before you go to prayer meetings to read stuff like that because then you'll know how to pray according to the will of God. Next, Paul's teaching on prayer. Uh, then you can do the same kind of thing for Jesus. Look at all the times that he went away to pray. Look at his prayer life and look at all his teachings on prayer. Then moving down, uh, look at answered prayers, especially in the Old Testament and the book of Acts, of which I've listed a bunch there for you. Study the whole chapter, and you'll start your expectations for what God can do through prayer will start to rise, okay? Study prayer in the Psalms. A lot of the Psalms are written from David, who was called a man's after God's heart, and he was a murderer and adulterer, <laughs> so figure that one out. And I talked to you about Paul's prayers, and he was a murderer. So some of the best teachings on prayer come from murderers. <laughs> <You know? laughs> All right, so study the prayer, prayer teachings of murderers. No, that have been redeemed. Um, 
Then seven keys to effective prayer. I'm not, there's teachings on that on the website. Uh, the only one I want to say is 1 John 5, 14 and 15 that says, it, you know, that if we ask anything according to his will, then we know that he hears us. God does not want you to pray for a Cadillac or whatever. You, if, you, if you do, you'll probably get a 1960s rust bucket one or something that's beyond restoration. But I uh, know, you know, part of the reason we're ineffective in prayer is we're not praying God's burdens. Pray for what God wants to do. If you're part of us, you are called to be part of us, and God wants to do things in and through us. And he wants you to be a big part of birthing that because you're praying for it. Prayer takes faith because, you, you know what? You, you can't see that physically, but there will be times where you know, well, the four of us were the only ones that showed up on Tuesday night, but God, we started worshiping and God's presence came and some scriptures came forth and we started praying this and, and then this thing happened over the next few months. Uh, one of them is, by the way, pray with perseverance and principles of faithfulness, starting with financial management principles. So many Christians manage their money ungodly. You will always stay a baby Christian and never grow unless you, it's in church, you know, these guys that teach about tithing, shame on them. Tithing is part of a whole package that includes industry, frugality, work ethic, learning how to budget, uh, tithes and offerings, the affordability principle. You, you, people are like, does God want me to have this? Do you have enough cash for it? Then of course he doesn't want you to have it. <laughs> you don't have to pray about whether God wants me to buy this car or go on this vacation or buy these clothes if I got credit card debt or something. There's this a no-brainer. You might as well pray if God wants you to commit adultery. I, I was praying about it, but I just couldn't get an answer. <laughs> it's like, the, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't feel it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will never lead you a different direction than the scriptures clearly teach. I was praying about quitting tithing for a while so I could afford a better car. All right, so lastly, let's get busy with the kingdom work of prayer. Um, you've noticed I broke it down into family dinner devotions. Get some of John Weiss's teachings on that, and, and one of the foundational books is called Family Worship by Joel Beakey. I hope everyone is trying to read all 12 foundational books this year. That's something we're asking everyone to do. Please make sure you're you know, reading all 12 of them. And it, it, I'm, I'm reading them all, even the ones I had already, some of them I read three or four times before, but some of them are new to me because John and Emily put that together. There's about three of them that I had not read before. And the one by Douglas Wilson on uh, discovering the high church puritan or something is awesome. Very good. So here's these prayer groups. Karaoke, Sam Chen Poon's uh, at Sydney's house on Tuesdays, at John Bradbury and Josiah Maddox's house on Thursdays, and then starting next week at Anvesh and Deanna's. Let's pray. Even Again, even if you have a strong tradition that family dinner is important to you, if you have that strong tradition and you're already having family dinner three and four and five times a week, you can certainly afford to skip that once a week and go pray with some other brothers and sisters. And I believe that if we do this, God will meet uh, 
you. And by the way, every one of those people is somebody on our leadership team that we really believe are walking very well with God and will have a lot to give and offer. Amen.